Well, we are going to continue our series called The Greatest Sermon. So if you are kind of new with us, we've basically been walking through uh, what we call The Greatest Sermon. And it's not one that I'm preaching. It's basically the, the Sermon on the Mount. We're just walking through this the longest running red letter text in the Bible where Jesus gathers a group of people up on a mountainside and he begins to teach them. And he teaches what we read in about 10 minutes. Um, Now, when he's teaching it, there could have been some other things we know from Scripture that it says that. Um, But what he teaches is unbelievably powerful. Um, We've gone through the Beatitudes. We've gone through salt and light. And today, we're going to find ourselves at a place where it kind of pivots a little bit. Um, But to kind of set that up, because this is kind of like the halfway point of the the sermon, and and Jesus really does actually kind of move in a different direction. And to, to get us thinking about that, I want us to think back 20 years ago. It's the year 2000. Um, it was another crazy year um, because there was a whole computer thing if you were alive then. Um, also, when I say the year 2000, I realize that dates a lot of us. Um, some of you were thinking, oh, that's when I had my first kid. Um, some of you are thinking that's when I graduated. That's when I did. Um, and some of you are going, I wasn't alive. So just bear with me on this one. But in the year 2000, that fall, um, a group of young men would line up behind a poster several times a week. Um, someone would hit play on the gym sound system. And the beautiful sound of who let the dogs out would begin to play. That is a terrible song. Let me just go ahead and say that. Yeah, there's actually people nodding right now in this room. It's a horrible song, but we were the North Zulch Bulldogs, and it was our basketball song, and we would run out when that downbeat hit. One, one of the freshmen would burst through this poster, and we would run out to the screams of dozens of people because it was a 1A high school, and people would cheer for us. We would make a lap. And then we would run. You couldn't grab the rim because that was illegal back in the day. But you would jump, and we would slam our hands on the the backboard. And, man, I could just reach it my senior year. I could get my full hand up on it, hit that backboard, and feel so amazing. Because, man, it was like being in the Coliseum back in the day, minus the death. Um, It was so awesome hearing all these people cheer for you because we love recognition. If, like, we're really honest— We all love whatever it is for you, some sort of recognition. We love when people cheer our name. If you like if you played a sport or if you did band or anything like that where there were people watching you when you were at that stage of life, or maybe it's still the same way for you now. Maybe you live in a world where you get to have your own intro music and you run out. Probably not, but we love that sense of recognition. We love hearing people cheer us. Uh, We love hearing people just give us a little word of encouragement, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But it will kind of lead into what we're going to talk about today, and I want to ask a question. I want you to see this and kind of think about it a little bit, and it's this. What sounds better, praise from the world or praise from God? What sounds better, praise from the world or praise from God? Now, the quick answer to that, if we, if we take the, like the Sunday school answer, we would go, okay, no, it's, it's, I don't care about praise from the world. I would care about praise from God, but we do like recognition, right? Like, we, we enjoy that. Like, that's even why it's not always a bad thing. Like, we talk about even in love languages, like words of affirmation. Like, when, when someone encourages you, that can be a good thing. Like, we, if we're really honest, we, we do like praise from the world, but... What about praise from God? What if we didn't hear the world 
but we only heard God. That's really what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We've made it through chapter 5. We're going to be in Matthew 6, and we're going to read one verse and talk about that because really this is kind of where Jesus begins to move a little bit in his message. But in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. I'll read that one more time. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, this really is kind of a, a pivot moment in the sermon. And so Jesus has talked a lot about a number of different things. Like, if, I'm not going to go back through everything, but he's, he's addressed the Beatitudes, the, the supreme blessedness. He's talked about anger. He's talked about retaliation. He's talked about loving your neighbor. And now he's going to shift a little bit in his message. And so this is what we're going to be looking at for the rest of our series as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. He kind of moves a little bit, and this one verse is going to relate to the next several weeks that we're going to talk about, because he's going to talk about giving, he's going to talk about prayer, he's going to talk about fasting. Some pretty heavy issues if we really, really look at them. Um, And so he begins, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Now, Jesus has used that word righteousness a couple times as well. If you've kind of been following along in this message, you've got Matthew 5, 6. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is righteousness? We said righteousness is just following after Christ, following the example that Christ has laid out. He talked about it in Matthew 5, 20 when he says, hey, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the Pharisees, you got nothing. Um, righteousness is an important thing. Like, it's, 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 it's something that we have talked about and we really have to do a good job of understanding because righteousness, it's following after Christ. I mean, that one verse in Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We talked about those aspects of hunger and thirst. Like, we all understand those. And we've understood them a little bit more in recent days because, you know, we're home and you get to that point where it's like, man, I'm hungry. What are we going to cook? What are we going to go take out? Like, hunger is this driving, driving force in our life. And thirst, even more so. Like, you can go weeks without eating. You can't go that long without drinking water. Like, we, we understand those basic human needs. And Jesus says, hey, when you hunger and thirst, think of it like that when you think of righteousness. Like, following after me, leading the example that I have lived, going after that. And then, you know what? He said, look, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the Pharisees, you have nothing. Like, he's saying, look, it's not about trying to just follow the law. It's about following me. So righteousness is kind of this theme of the Sermon on the Mount. And he addresses it again when he says, don't practice your righteousness before other people. Like, He's really kind of addressing this issue. You've heard me say a couple times as we've walked through this, the Pharisees, the the religious leaders of the day, had really kind of presented to the Jewish people this idea of what I call just clean up the outside. Like if you can clean up your outside, you're good enough. But we all know deep down inside, like in our heart and in our soul, you can clean up your outside. You can play the game. You can make it look pretty. But inside, you can be hurting. Like some of you right now, like if you're really honest, that's maybe what you're doing. Like your outside image looks like social media, where everything we put up on social media is typically good. Look how look how wonderful my children are behaving. Here's the school project that we're currently doing, and look at the end result. 
But we don't put the pictures up of the 500 times it took to get there. We don't put the pictures up of our kids melting down to finally arrive at that point. Like, we, we can do a good job of cleaning up the outside. But inside, man, our hearts can be hurting. Our soul can be longing for something more. And really, this is the whole gist of what Jesus came to destroy. Like, he said, it's, it's not about your outside. It's about your soul. It's about your soul being right. It's about your heart knowing that it's been made new. And he addresses it even with righteousness. Because if you want to do good things and you want other people to see them, what you're really doing is you're creating an image of righteousness. And that's the dangerous thing. This image of righteousness, when on the inside everything is hurting and wrong, this is what Jesus comes to destroy. This is what Jesus comes to say, hey, I'm going to give you something new within that. And he says, hey, if you're just practicing righteousness, which is a good thing, right? If you're practicing good things, but you're doing it so that only other people can see you and say, oh, man, how wonderful is that guy? How, how wonderful is that woman? You're just creating an image of righteousness. And that's, that's not okay. Like, that, that can't be your motivation, like, if your motivation to do the right thing is what will other people think of me, like, in a positive way, like, we all know deep down, like, we do things and we wonder what are people going to think about me. But if we're doing it so that they will think better of me and not of something greater than me, then you're just creating an image of righteousness. It's the wrong motivation, which leads to another question. Like, what's, what's the best motivation? Well, the best motivation the gospel motivation is the best motivation. Why, why do we practice righteous, righteousness? Why do we follow after Christ? We do that because the gospel demands it. We do it not because we're worried about what are people going to think about me. We do it because we know this is the right thing to do even if no one else was watching. That's kind of the definition of integrity, right? Like what you do when no one else is watching. Well, gospel motivation says, hey, I understand that the gospel calls me to be greater. It calls for more in my life. And therefore, even if no one else is watching, I'm going to live my life out in a way that is gospel motivated. And it's a way that is going to show righteousness, even if it doesn't give me that, like, public adoration that I might want. And so it's not a contradiction of some of the things that Jesus has said. Like when he talks about, hey, don't practice your righteousness for other people to see it. Some people would take that and go, sweet, I don't have to do that. Um, like he's not contradicting himself because earlier we know in the sermon he said, hey, you're salt and light. Like let your light shine. We are to practice righteousness. It's the motivation behind it. It's the idea, can I do this even if no one else acknowledges I'm doing what's right. I think I, I'm pretty sure I've shared this story before. Years ago, um, I had one of the greatest nights of my entire life. Um, me and a buddy, we were supposed to go to a comedy club. Um, and that kind of got shut down. I don't remember why we couldn't go. Um, but then we ended up calling a friend and saying, hey, since we're bored, um, what if we go to our boss's house and we just do some, you know, 
young shenanigans. And so, not saying this is right, but um, this is what I did. Uh, and so, me and a couple buddies, we go to my boss's house. Um, we had been on a mission trip weeks before where we were pranking everybody. Um, and we said, hey, let's go there. Let's do a few things, you know, like saran wrap their yard, um, spell things out with spoons, and the gift that keeps on giving throw pinto beans out. That's actually really wrong. Don't do that. Um, and we did that. Little did we know, my boss, we, th- we thought they were actually out doing something else with their group from a mission trip. They were all in the house. Um, they were all home. And so not long after we had actually gone there and done this, I'm back at my buddy's house and then my roommate calls me. He was part of that mission team. And uh, he said, where are you? And I said, well, we're coming back from a comedy club. What's up? Because he knew that's where I was supposed to be. Uh, he said, well, somebody got Michael's house. Like, they, there's prank stuff all over the place. There's circus peanuts on cars and all these other things we've done. Um, we think it's you. I was like, I, I, would, I would never do something like that. And uh, he said, well, you said you're in the car? I said, yeah. He goes, turn the radio up. Luckily, we were at a house, and we put it on one of those, like, you know, channels that only play music and just turned it up. And he's like, okay, uh, I believe you. Um, I said, well, who do you think could have done it? And he said, well, if it wasn't you, it was probably the pastor. Um, I said, yeah, it was probably him. And uh, I said, so what are y'all doing now? He said, well, we're getting ready to go do the same thing to his house. And I went, okay, can I help? Yes. And for the rest of that night, we ended up me being the instigator of all of this, we went to several houses that they even remotely believed could have been involved in it, and we pranked all of their houses. Um, the only people that really knew this were me and two interns. One of those interns could not live with not having recognition. <laughs> like, it, that was his motivation. Like, he needed, he needed that to feel better about himself. I could have lived every single day of my life from here to eternity when God takes me home, knowing that I did that, it was a cool night, and that was, that was the end of it. Rob got convicted and confessed to our boss that we had done it, and then people ended up showing up at my house later. But like, what, what motivates us? If, if you could do righteousness, and no one knew that it was you, like if you could do something that was right, and no one knew it was you, could you live the rest of your days without receiving praise from someone else. This is what Jesus is saying, really. Like, when you practice righteousness, which we know we are called to do, can you do that in a way that if no one ever knew it was you, it'd still be okay to you? That's what Jesus is calling us to do. As we look at all of these different things that we're going to look at over the next several weeks, we have to ask ourselves, can I be okay with the gospel being the greatest motivation possible to me? Even if I don't get recognition. What if the only recognition I got was from God? Would I be okay with that? And and we should. Like, that's got to be our driving force. That's got to be the greatest motivator. Not so much the praise from other people, even though we love that, but being rewarded from God for the righteousness that we carry out, knowing that, hey, it glorifies Him, not just me. And so, as we kind of set everything up, everything we're going to look at over the next several weeks is really built off that idea that, hey, righteousness, when it's carried out, if it's, if it's only for God's glory, is the best possible thing. So then, look in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 2. Jesus says this, Thus, 
When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. So, as we read that, a couple of you probably picked up on something. Welcome to a message on giving. Um, and it's one of those things right now, I can go back and look and see where our timeline is and see if it drops off. So here's a couple things. One, your internet cannot just randomly go out right now. Um, I've had the chance to think about that this week, um, think of different excuses. Oh, you know, uh, the internet went out, power surge. Oh, I have to go and do all those things that I said I was going to do to my spouse for like the last month and a half. You can't do that right now. Welcome to a message that is on giving. And so we, we talk about the importance of Scripture. Um, and as we walk through it, you need to understand, like, this is a big thing. Um, so as we, as we look at that, um, there's, a, there's a little cultural aspect that I want to bring up. Um, in, in, in biblical times, in the Jewish culture, there were a couple of pillars. Giving was one of them. Um, when I say pillars, it was these things that were expected of the Jewish people. Giving was one because it was understood it's important. Like, it's important enough that Jesus talks about it a lot. Um, and it's important today. Um, and so really, the rest of the message, we, I just want to look at why. Why is this important? Like, why do we meet needs? Like, that's the question to be asked now. Why do we meet needs? Um, in Jesus' day, there were people in need. Um, there were people that couldn't work for physical ailments. Um, there wasn't really a government there to protect them in that event. Um, and that's why you see a number of examples in Scripture of people who were begging, um, asking for money. Uh, there were people that had just fallen on hard times. Uh, there were people that had a spouse that had passed away. Um, and a number of those things exist today. Like, this is something that we can look back 2,000 years ago and go, I, I kind of get that. Like, especially today. Like, right now, we've got a number of people that lost their jobs. We've got a number of people that are kind of hurting because business has fallen back. Like, there are people in need 2,000 years ago. There are people in need today. And if Jesus waits another 2,000 years, guess what? This is still going to be an issue. This is one that hasn't been solved by any government. This is one that hasn't been solved even by Christianity because we haven't always lived this out. Now, I, I read an example last week where the believers said, hey, we, we have all things in common. We're listening to our pastors and we're listening to the teachers and we're, we're living that out. And if there's somebody in need, you know what? We've got some property. We can sell that. Like that is one of the sweetest moments in Scripture. But it doesn't always look like that. And this is why Jesus addresses it. And so, why do we meet needs? A couple of things. The first one is this. It's the expectation. He, he doesn't, I've used the phrase a number of times, Jesus didn't stutter. Um, when you give to the needy, and he repeats it, but when you give to the needy, he says when, not if. Like, we do have to understand that. Like, this is an expectation. As we look out on the world, as we look out on people in need, we understand that the gospel, if you're in Christ, if you have been made new, you have been called to more. And this is the full expectation. It's not when, 
<coughs> excuse me, it's if. We know there are people in need. That could be people that you see on the street. Um, that could carry over to people in need into a multitude of areas. We've got missionaries that we support right now. They are in need. Like, that's how their missions happen. Like, we give, a, a number of people give to that missionary, and they are able, that's their support. And that enables them to share the gospel, that enables them to meet physical needs, that enables them to pay their staff if it's more than one person. Like, there are a lot of different needs. Like, even in our church, our kids' ministry, our student ministry, all of these different ministries, like, they're supported by people giving. Um, our pantry, we know that every single month, hundreds of people are fed through our pantry. Um, our church staff, <coughs> excuse me, we know that there are people in our community that are hurting. Like, there, there's a need. We can't blindly turn away from that. Like, we can't pretend that it's not there. And so we know it's the expectation. Jesus didn't say, if you give. He says, when you give. Like, the expectation from our Lord and Savior is, when you do this, do it in the right way. Like, don't do it for your own personal gain, but do it in the right way. It is an expectation. The second thing is this. It's a way of practicing humility. When we give, it's a way of practicing humility if we do it in the right way. Now, can you do the right thing the wrong way? Most certainly. That's why he makes this random statement. He says, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Now, I've heard a number of different explanations about that over the years, um, but just in the world of looking at it, we don't know exactly what he means by that. We could take him literally. Um, now, I'll say this. If someone were to walk into this auditorium with like a, you know, maybe a coat on, and when we said, hey, it's time for the offering, they slightly remove a trumpet and begin to play it. One, we're going to think they're insane. Um, but maybe that's what these people did. Um, it could have also been the, the, the call to worship in that culture. Um, and so the people would bring their money. Um, some say that there were these giving boxes that they had back in the day. Um, and if you threw your money hard enough, it would clang almost like a trumpet sounding. The, the reality is we don't know what he means by this exactly, but we can take away the, the big picture. What he's saying is, hey, when you give, do it in a way that's showing humility. Like, don't give in such a way that maybe one day your name will be on a building. Like, sometimes people do that, right? Like, you, you see time and time again major corporations that give these large donations, and it's funny, they always seem to do it in a way that there's publicity around it, right? Well, that's called advertising, this is, this is where Jesus says, hey, you're not advertising your obedience and giving. You're doing it in such a way that you're not worried about your name being on a building. Um, you're just doing it because you understand we give generously, we give cheerfully. Even if people don't know what that looks like, and if people don't know that I did that. Like, we don't, we don't publicize gifts around here, like when it comes to giving, uh, that's just something we would never, ever do, uh, mainly because Jesus says, hey, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Like, when you give, do it in humility. Do it in humility knowing that God has blessed you deeply. Like, really deeply. Like, we, if you're, quite frankly, if you're watching this, you have been blessed beyond the majority of the world, right? 
because you have a device in your hand that is showing this. Like, we, at times, we forget just how blessed we are. Um, there are people that are hiding in, in home churches across the globe right now. Like, we forget how blessed we are. And so when we give, we give in humility. Another thing, there's a reward. Like, when we give, there is a reward. Now, I, I hate that I have to approach this so carefully, um, but we live in a day and age where sometimes that side gets exaggerated. But at the same time, Sometimes it's not talked about, but there is a reward when we give. Now, this is not prosperity gospel. You've probably heard me talk about that a lot. Like, we're not saying if you give $10, God's going to give you $100 back. Like, that's not the reward. Sometimes the reward goes beyond financial, but we understand there is a reward because he says, hey, if you give like the hypocrites do, that was their reward. If you give in silence to God, there's a reward on that side as well. And sometimes we, we, we've talked about this from a leadership standpoint. There's times where we've gone too far to not talk about reward stuff. Now, again, this is not prosperity gospel. But sometimes you have to think beyond the financial. And, yes, there will be a reward. When you give, there is a, financial, uh, there is a reward aspect to it. But what if that reward aspect looked more like the gospel? That's why years ago, I, I did a thing that some of you are familiar with. I was a student pastor. We had a thing called Disciple Now. Um, now, at the time, the church I worked at, they had never done one. And so I went to my boss and said, hey, here's what we're going to do, and kind of lined it out. And he's like, did you come up with this? And I should have said yes, but that's really been going on for like 30 years now. Um, but one of the things, there, there was a cost aspect. Like we would have a pan come in. We'd have different games and things that we'd do. Uh, I would bring like small group leaders in, these college kids that would pour into them, wanted to be able to pay college kids. So there was a little bit of cost to it. Um, and so we started a thing where we said, hey, made an announcement to the church. Hey, if you want to give a scholarship to a kid that maybe couldn't afford this, and it wasn't much, it was like $40. Um, but if you want to sponsor a kid, you can do that. I had a guy come up to me, and he said, how many do you need? And I was like, well, I, I, I don't know. I, I won't know until all these kids are signing up and they check a box that says, hey, I need a scholarship. Um, why? And he goes, you just tell me a number and I'm going to pay for all of it. All those kids. I don't care if it's one kid. I don't care if it's 100 kids. However many kids need financial support, to go to this weekend where it's really discipleship-driven and it's a time of growth and it's spiritual investment, I'm going to pay for all of them. I was like, all right, I'll get back to you. And I did. A little bit, a few weeks later, I came back and said, hey, I, I need this many. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll have a check at the church next week. He understood, like, and he didn't want his name out there. Uh, he didn't want people knowing this is who it came from. It wasn't some corporate investment. He was looking at the spiritual investment. He understood, hey, by me giving to kids in need, they're going to be able to go and have a weekend where, one, they can grow spiritually. Two, they can find other people that are trying to do the same thing. I'll, I'll tell you this. Like, one of the most spiritually enriching times I've ever had in my life came in an event like that. Um, and this guy said, hey, I understand the importance of that, and that's going to be my reward, knowing that there are dozens of kids that can go now because that's what's important. Like, he, he wasn't looking for a financial reward. He understood, hey, sometimes rewards are more gospel-driven. And speaking of the gospel, this is the last thing. Why do we meet needs? It expands the gospel. And so, just kind of briefly, 
we have a number of people that give at South Point, and I'm very thankful for that. And at times you give and you, you do it the right way. Like you don't even know where it's going. Um, but I want to encourage us with this just kind of quickly this morning. Um, when we give at South Point, here's a few things that happen. We know it expands the gospel in this way. Um, we support missionaries. We have missionaries in Russia called the Harbor. Um, and when you give, every single month we send money to the Harbor. And what they do is they take kids that have aged out of the foster system. And what their numbers show is it's like 95% of kids that age out of the foster system in Russia end up in some type of crime, prostitution, drug, like it's just a bleak world because they have had nothing to kind of give them a foundation. What the harbor does is they take those students in. Um, these are kids that are like 18 to 20, early 20s. They teach them a trade. They tell them about Jesus. Um, and what they have shown is it's almost an exact opposite. Like all these kids that had no hope and no future suddenly they're not in any of those terrible world scenes. Like, they contribute to society, enough so that the Russian government has said, we will actually help you as well because you're doing such a good job of keeping people off the streets and out of crime. And so when you give, know that there are people, you may never know their names, but there are kids, I say kids, they're more young adults, they heard the gospel because you helped make that possible. We've got missions in Mexico. We've got missions in places like last week we can't even really talk about. When you give, know that it is going worldwide. And so on top of that, our kids' ministry, our student ministry, um, those are funded when you give to South Point. When you give to South Point, it's made possible that in a normal time, our kids can meet in a room uh, and worship together and hear Bible stories, and make those wonderful crafts that they bring home for us. And all of that is possible because you give. Our students are able to meet on Wednesday night and on Sunday mornings and go to camps and things like that because you give. Our pantry, I think it was close to 2,000 people we were able to feed last year. 2,000. Why? Because you gave. Like when we give, it expands the gospel. Because not only do we meet the physical needs there, we get the chance to know all the, those people. Like, we know their names. We hear their stories. We share the gospel with them. Like, when you give, know that the gospel is expanding and going out. Um, outreach. We were able to do a block party last year. We hopefully will do one again soon. Uh, where we actually partnered with other churches in town, and we met at Jackson Elementary and had a block party. Now, how could we do that? Because people gave. We had to buy food that we weren't charging people to come there. Um, it was a beautiful example of what happens, one, when the church comes together, and two, when people give. Um, and even right now, like as you're watching, we have a couple of different cameras set up. Uh, we have a program where whenever I make some big point, it'll show up, and we've got lyrics that show up on one side of your screen. Like all of that, like we didn't have that months ago. Like, we were able to look at that and go, hey, we're going to act on that. It costs us a little bit each month. And we said, hey, that's an investment we want to make. And how can we do that? Because people give. And because you've done that, there are people that have watched this message in our 
worship service in other states. I know for a fact in other countries, like, that's what happens. Like, when we give, when we meet needs, the gospel expands. It goes everywhere. And so, as we wrap up, let's do the right thing the right way. As we talked about giving today, and we're going to talk about prayer the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about fasting in a few weeks, um, let's be reminded, yes, we have been called to practice righteousness, but we've been called to practice it the right way. Let's pray. God, we love you. If there's anyone out there watching right now, God, and they, they just, they've been struggling, They've been struggling physically, maybe because of a job loss. They've been struggling spiritually because they don't know you, maybe. God, I pray you'd be all over them right now. If you're sitting there today and you don't know what it looks like to have a relationship with Christ, if you don't know what it looks like to really live righteousness, it's this. It's acknowledging that you are a sinner. And most of us can do that pretty easily. Like, we know we've messed up. But it's also understanding that because we've messed up, it separates us from God. But in his love and mercy, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, that we could have forgiveness, that we could have grace. And if you've never experienced that personally, I would invite you right now to just say, God, as best as I know how, I want to follow Christ. I want to turn away from my life I want to follow him. And in that moment, people are made into a new creation. And so if that is you, I would encourage you to fill out one of the Connect cards. We want to encourage you in that. We want to walk with you in that. But God, if there are people listening right now and they're the ones in need, God, I pray you would show them that's okay. It's okay to be in need. I can't tell you how many times I've been there. And God, they would reach out to us and we would, we would be able to follow through with Scripture and meet those needs. So God, we love you. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.